0: Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. My name is Dr. Sid Rop, and I'm your host. There must be some kind of way out of here, said the Joker to the thief. There's too much confusion, I can't get no relief. Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. I took the title of this podcast from Jimi Hendrix's song because I just finished binge-watching, for the third time, Battlestar Galactica. I really like that series, and maybe I'll talk about it here before long. It does have a lot of Gnostic elements. It's an interesting story. When the sleeper Cylons were trying to wake up, they kept hearing that Jimi Hendrix song saying, There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Because they were confused. Well, this has been an interesting week for me. One of our Gnostic Insights listeners wrote to me about a week ago and asked me to clarify some apparent inconsistencies between the tripartite tractate and another Valentinian text called Theodotus. So I've spent the last week reading Theodotus. And before I address any of these questions of inconsistencies, there's an overarching concept that I'd like to share with you. And it's this, that here at Gnostic Insights, and indeed at my long running other blog called A Simple Explanation of Absolutely Everything, and my new book called A Simple Explanation of the Gnostic Gospel, I strive for what? Simplicity. And the way I think of simplicity, it's not dumbing things down. Simplicity is elegance. And elegance. In the scientific use of the word means parsimony. It means using the smallest amount of data to answer the question. It means not bringing in a lot of extra theories and a lot of extra hypotheses in order to justify your views on something, right? This gets back to this concept called Occam's razor. Now, Occam's Razor is a philosophical concept. It's pretty simple. It's what I was just talking about. Pardon me for quoting out of Wikipedia, but it works for simple definitions at least. In philosophy, Occam's Razor is the problem-solving principle that recommends searching for explanations constructed with the smallest possible set of elements. I'm quoting from Wikipedia here. It is also known as the principle of parsimony or the law of parsimony. William of Ockham is, was a 14th century English philosopher and theologian, and basically he said, entities must not be multiplied beyond necessity. And this is usually translated as saying the simplest explanation is usually the best one. So the philosophical razor. Of Occam's razor says that when presented with competing hypotheses about the same prediction, one should prefer the hypothesis that requires the fewest assumptions. Okay, Occam's razor is a principle that I apply to Gnostic scriptures, because the Gnostic scriptures are, one way to think of them, they're each an hypothesis about the ethereal plane. Each different Gnostic scripture is a way of talking about things we can't see, things not immediately perceptible to our ordinary way of walking around in the world, right? This is what generally people call Gnosis, the Gnosis of the unseen ethereal plane, or the powers at work. I prefer the tripartite tractate as a very special Gnostic scripture. It's the one I personally resonate to. And the reason I like it so much is that it is the simplest. It's funny. People say the tripartite tractate is difficult, that it's one that people don't usually read because of its difficulty. But that isn't true at all for me. To me, the tripartite tractate is the Gnostic scripture that most clearly and simply explains the ethereal plane It explains the procession of consciousness from undifferentiated consciousness down into us, who are quite a differentiated consciousness, meaning we each have our own points of view and our own opinions. It explains the powers at work in this world versus the powers at work in the ethereal plane, and then why we're here and what happens after we die, and then what will happen in eternity. This is all explained very simply in the tripartite tractate. And then I attempt here at Gnostic Insights to explain it even more simply, not taking away parts from the tripartite tractate, but translating them into the common language of today's way of speaking and today's scientific knowledge. Now, one thing, interestingly, that this um, listener... Suggested to me is that I would stop using New Age type of language. But I would like to explain to you here, as I explained to him in my reply to his comment, that I don't talk new age. I don't believe in new age. I've never believed in New age. Before being a Gnostic Christian, I was an evangelical Christian, a like a four-square type of Christian, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, born again all of that mainstream evangelical mode but with that mystical bent that Pentecostals have, which means we can commune directly with the Holy Spirit. We can receive the word of the Holy Spirit and re-utter it. Whereas more conservative, traditional types of Protestant denominations are less mystical. They don't like to think that the Holy Spirit can talk through people nowadays because they're afraid of false prophets and people leading the faithful astray. So... My view of Gnosis is the Holy Spirit speaking to me and through me, right? And telling me the truth about things. I'm almost 70 years old right now, and I have been walking with the Lord for well over 60 years now, and I have a pretty strong sense of discernment, if I do say so myself. <laughs> so when, you know, I've said, before that when I first came across these Gnostic Gospels, they concerned me very much because they sound like false prophecies. They seem to be adding the what we call jots and tittles, <laughs> which is just another way of saying letters and... uh exclamation points and so forth, to the Bible. It's a way of thinking of extra words added to the Bible. That's why the Nicene Council was so strong to say, okay, we've completed the Bible now. This is it. You're not allowed to read any other books. And the Gnostic scriptures were taken out of the canon of the New Testament in that 300 AD Nicene Council era, And this was at the request of the Pope and the request of the Emperor of Rome, because they wanted to simplify Christianity and make it easier for people to cling to, and then, by the way, install themselves in power. So it's a control mechanism, the Nicene Council. Oddly enough, or interestingly enough, if you read the statements of faith of various Protestant denominations, They all say we adhere to the Nicene Council. It's like statement of faith number one. The Nicene Council was correct, and we begin there, and we end there. And then they have their church rules and the way they run their denomination. But it's always back to the Nicene Council. So the thing, first of all, that we need to realize about Gnostic Christianity is that it is not based on the Nicene Council. It's before the Nicene Council. So this is the proto-Christianity that Jesus would have been familiar with. He didn't, he didn't go through the Nicene Council. He didn't obey the Pope. He paid his dues, his tithes, to Rome, because given to Rome that which belongs to Rome, and Jesus considered that to be taxes. But he never signed on to the concepts that the Roman emperor had any control over the soul of those who believe in God. And so we go back to that notion in that we share the walk with Jesus, I think. I believe that we Gnostic Christians have a closer walk with Jesus and with the God above all gods than the post-Nicene Council Christians do, because they are adhering to the Pope and those who walk with the Emperor of Rome. And we all know from the Protestant Reformation that Luther overthrew that kind of allegiance to the Pope and the Emperor. He suggested that we should read the Bible again, because in Luther's day, which was 500 years ago, by the time of 500 years ago, nobody read the Bible. Not even the priests and the monks read the Bible. So once you start reading the Bible, then you can start seeing that much of what the Catholic Church taught through the Pope is not in the Bible. And a lot of things jots and tittles, are added by the Pope. So that goes against the very notion that everything was supposed to stop at the Nicene Council. Anyway, that's a little church history, according to me. But I'm not a historian. I don't care for history that much. I think here and now was much more important. Here, now, and the future is more important than what people thought or did in the past, unless you are willing to learn from the past. Throwing away the past completely is like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Have you ever heard of that expression? You give the baby a bath and then you dump the tub. Well, you don't throw out the baby along with the bathwater. And to me, throwing the baby out along with the bathwater is what the Nicene Council did when they stripped Gnosis out of the New Testament. So I'm trying to put the Gnosis back in the New Testament. Now, I apply Occam's razor to these Gnostic concepts, because we're all after the same thing. We're all after the single absolute truth. And there is only one truth. There can only be one truth. Now, whether we know it or not, or how much we're cued into that one truth, well, that's where we all have our differences, isn't it? But there is only one truth. So the tripartite tractate is unique in that it begins with the one truth, and then it logically develops out of that one truth. So this arcane and labyrinthian structure of what people think of as Gnostic is missing in the tripartite tractate. These other Gnostic scriptures, they wander all over the place. They bring in all kinds of folklore and mythologies from Egypt and from Phoenicia, from the Greeks. These are still mythologies. And what are mythologies? They are analogies made between what we know or how we think and the ultimate reality. They're only analogies. Mythology is an analogy to a truth. It is not to be confused with the truth. The tripartite tractate of the Nag Hammadi scriptures is a beautiful work of simplicity, and I believe in simplicity. My whole original theory of everything is called A Simple Explanation of Absolutely Everything, and that's why my new Gnostic manual is called A Simple Explanation of the Gnostic Gospel. So the simplicity pursued here at Gnostic Insights, and I use my Simple Explanation Theory as a way of explaining things. So it's my own analogy set. In the same way that the New Testament, especially Jesus, when he spoke in parables, he was using analogies that people could relate to, such as a man finds a pearl that someone is selling and he recognizes it as a pearl of of fantastic worth that the seller doesn't know that is of great worth. So the man goes and he sells everything he has in order to get the money to buy that pearl of great worth. Well, see, that's an analogy. It's a way of explaining, of Jesus explaining, you can give up everything else you own once you find the truth of eternity, because it is worth more than anything you own. So these are the types of analogies that Jesus spoke. My analogies in the simple explanation talk about, for example, the simple golden rule. And this applies to everything, whether it's humans, animals, molecules, cells in the body. It doesn't matter. It applies to everything in creation up and down the line. The simple explanation is that units of consciousness, everything that's conscious, reach out and hold hands with their neighbors, That's an analogy, of course, because molecules don't have hands. They hold hands with their neighbors, and they work together on a singular project. They share information, they share assistance, and they share love in order together to build something that they couldn't make on their own, to build the next level up. So that's an analogy. That's a way of talking about The ultimate reality. Now, that doesn't appear in any of the Gnostic Gospels, yet it's Gnostic because it's a truth. So, what I am anchoring my Gnostic truth to is the New Testament in combination with the tripartite tractate. I find that those combinations are the simplest and clearest, most understandable way to discover the truth of our ultimate reality and our originating consciousness. So I look for a true theory of everything that underlies the reality of our cosmos, regardless of where it is found. And that's why once in a while here on Gnostic Insights, I will quote something out of the Tao Te Ching, for example, or the Tibetan Book of the Dead. But you know what I rarely quote out of? The other Gnostic books, the other Gnostic scriptures, because I find them incredibly laborious, incredibly confusing. They go down this rabbit track and that rabbit track and that rabbit track until before you know it, you're just chasing, chasing, chasing one thing after another, deeper and deeper into confusion. And the God above all gods is not the author of confusion. If you find yourself becoming more confused rather than less confused, if you're going in the direction of complexity rather than simplicity, I don't think it's from the Father. I don't think it's a good thing. Here, let me quote you something from the New Testament. First Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the assemblies of the Holy Ones. Now, these assemblies of the Holy Ones, those aren't other churches. Those aren't especially good people. Those are the pleromas of the eons, of the fullness, or the totalities of the all, of the sun. So, the God above all gods is not a God of confusion or of disorder, but of peace, So when you read the scriptures, I understand that, for example, the tripartite tractate is written in ancient type of language, ancient type of grammar and diction, but as far as its logic goes, it is unsurpassed. So what I try to do here at Gnostic Insights is take this fantastic logical exposition that can only be found in the tripartite tractate of the Nagamati scriptures, and I say it in English, in modern type English. And I also try to give you analogies that you can relate to. I think, and I guess theoretically I could be wrong, but I don't know about that. I don't feel wrong, <laughs> but who does, right? When I try to read other Gnostic scriptures particularly those of the Hermetic line or of the Sethian line. They introduce character after character after character. They introduce mythologies and fables that are extraneous and unnecessary to our peaceful, simple understanding of the gospel of the God above all gods. So this listener that wrote to me this week He wanted me to explain some differences between what I'm teaching here and Theodotus, which is also put in the section called Valentinian Gnosticism in these compendiums of Gnostic scriptures. So I spent the last week reading Theodotus and notating the similarities and differences between Theodotus and the tripartite tractate. And it's just so complicated that I can't even share it with you here, because I don't want to bring confusion. I only attempt to bring clarity. I may post it as an article on uh, one of my blogs, I think, and I'll let you know when I do that, so you can go there and look it up. Or I'll put a link to it in one of these Gnostic Insights posts when it's up and running. Here's another nice quote from the New Testament. James 3.17, according to Hart's translation of the New Testament, says, and this is the part that's relevant to our discussion today, but wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, reasonable, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, unfeigned, that means not fake or hypocritical. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. When you have faith in the God above all gods, you have faith that the Father and the Son and the fullness have you here for a certain reason, for a plan. And your job is to fulfill their plan, not to work your magic to fulfill your plan. You see? We second order powers were sent here on earth to help redeem the Demiurge, to help gather up all those shadows that fell out of Logos when Logos fell. And that all comes from ego. All those shadows arise from ego. The passions arise from ego. But when you remove ego from the throne and you instead turn to your one true self, which is a reflection of the all, the Son of God, then you are able to fulfill your work. You are able to hold hands with others without selfish motivation. You are able to instantiate the simple golden rule of working with your neighbors to help them with information, assistance, and love to improve the world around you, to improve the cosmos with love. And this is how we witness to others that we embody the love of God. And you really only know what God's will is for your life if you are working through the self rather than through your egoic emotionality. One neat thing about the tripartite tractate is that it's absolutely logical. It is a sound hypothesis from one end to the other. What do we care about logic, huh? Well, this is a reasonable and logical cosmos. We have laws of physics. We have laws of chemistry. We have the way things work. We have laws of society. If you have no enforcement of laws, then you have anarchy, and things become more and more anarchic and evil. The powers of the left are always striving to increase the power and passions of the demiurge. That's why they work out of emotionality rather than logic. The powers of the right work from the self and from the God above all gods in a selfless, non-egoic manner. That is, if they are working from the self and not the ego. Remember, there are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing many who say, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things in your name? And then the anointed will say at the end of time, I don't know you. You didn't. You might have done this in my name, but you sure weren't doing my will. I don't know you at all, despite what you're talking. You may have talked the talk, but you didn't walk the walk. Now, remember those people on the left, they're not going to hell, but they are going to the chastening of the eons in the bardos when they pass away. I found another nice quote from the New Testament this week while well, I was looking up simplicity to share this, these ideas with you. And 2 Corinthians 1.12 says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. That's the King James Version. In Hart's translation of the same Second Corinthians 1.12, he says, For this is our boast, the witness of our conscience, that we have conducted ourselves in the cosmos, and toward you especially, in holiness, and in God's sincerity, and not in fleshly wisdom, but rather in God's grace." For we do not write any things for you other than what you can read, or indeed fully understand. And I hope you will understand it all the way to the end, just as you have understood us in part, because we are your boast, just as you are ours for the day of our Lord Jesus. Basically, what this is saying is that we can't figure this out on our own, using our emotions, using what we think is best. Because that always arises from ego. It doesn't arise from godly wisdom and godly sincerity. And I like that the word sincerity is here as well, because that is the opposite of hypocrisy. If you look around the world and you pick out the hypocritical people and the politicians that are hypocritical and the religious leaders that are hypocritical, they're not sincere they may talk the good talk they may say this is for your benefit oh we are only we're only thinking of you we're only doing this for you but they're not they're speaking hypocritically what they're doing it for is control is for power sincerity is following the will of the father and that is only expressed through love and through godly wisdom through simplicity and clarity and through logic and reason. You have to develop your own discernment. You have to open your eyes and see what is true and see what is not true. One way to open your eyes is to look for the simple simplicity of truth. If you have to Look this up, and this up, and this up, and that up, and go down this rabbit trail, and that, and then read this book, and that book, and this book, and that book, and go to this seminar, and that seminar, and sign up for this master class, and that master class, all searching for the truth. It's probably not the truth. There is only one simple truth. The bottom line simple truth is that we come from the Father. We come from the God above all gods. We come from a singular consciousness that recognized itself and encapsulated itself into a monad, a singular consciousness called the sun that is like the bucket dipped into the great sea of consciousness. Now we have a contained bucket of the God above all gods, and that bucket is the son of God. And then the sun noticed all his differentiations, and that is what is called the all the totalities. And by the way, I noticed in my reading of Theodotus that they like to call the All Sophia, and they like to say that the All is a female, and that the Son is a male, and that these two are scissorgies, but they're not. There is no gender in the realm above. The sun is only called sun, is only thought of as a, quote, male figure, because males emit. They go out, right? They give. So consciousness is emitted. It's emanated. Outward, 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 always outward. That's a male activity emanating outward. Down here on the earth, down here in the cosmos, females are the receptive sexual figure, right? They receive The male emanates, the female receives. But we don't have that going on up above. It's all emanations of the Father. It's all emanations. It's all outward. So I don't even like this idea of male and female, that the female is the elect, the female is Sophia, the female is the church, the male is the son, the male is the father. You don't have to go there. You don't have to go there at all. Those are merely analogies of just emanations. We had to think of it as, oh, well, men and women, sex. We don't have to think that way about the ethereal plane. You know, Jesus said, no one's married in heaven. You don't have husbands and wives, it says. That's because there is no gender in heaven. There's no sex. It's not a gendered place. Gender only occurs as a result of the fall. And then it has to do with sex and recreation. So, before we sign off, I want to repeat for you that the way that I and my brother Bill, who is also a philosopher, the way we have been developing the Gnostic gospel from the Tripartite Tractate is extremely logical, simple, and systematic. There isn't anything in the Gnostic gospel that I'm sharing with you here that does not arise directly from the first principle of the Father. And that's where the gnosis here differs from the type of gnosis you find in other books and other podcasts. Here at Gnostic Insights, we don't go in for the hermetic mythologies from ancient civilizations. The thing that makes the Gnosis shared here different from what is called Gnosis from other venues is that this Gnosis is not a series of fairy tales that comes out of ancient cultures. This Gnosis is not a mythology that focuses on names and numerologies and astrology. It is simply a logical progression from the first principle, consciousness, that consciousness is the ground state of everything. And then we arise from that, and the Gnostic Gospel of the Tripartite Tractate explains how the first gnosis differentiates and becomes fractal divisions, and then fractal emanations, and how that eventually comes down here into this material cosmos. But it didn't come directly down. It was the result of a fall, and I am not going to sign on board with the idea that there is a female figure that fell, because even after reading Theodotus carefully and making notes, I find that that is a patriarchal retelling of history. You may think that it's honoring the sacred feminine, but it's not. Not when you say that the sacred feminine then fell and had an aborted fetus, and that that aborted fetus, Yaldabaoth, becomes the demiurge of this creation. That is a really insulting thing to say about the sacred feminine, in my female opinion. So, the tripartite tractate doesn't separate genders. It is an eon who fell, and that eon was logos. Logic. Logic fell and became subsumed to ego, to emotionality, and striving for power. That is the bottom line of the story. Our creation arose out of striving and emotionality and shadows, imitations, a poor deficiency of the fullness above. And the fullness sends us down in order to remind the fallen one down below, the ego, hey, no, that isn't true. That isn't right. Look, we embody love. Of course, we're doing a piss-poor job of embodying love, aren't we? And that's because we forget. Once we are embodied and melded to this material fallen world, we tend to forget because of the never-ending war between the ethereal and the material plane. But it's supposed to be our job, and then that's why the Christ, the third order of powers, comes to redeem a second order of powers, and we replace our second order powers with third order powers, and now we can remember, and now we have embodied love. And that's what the New Testament is supposed to be talking about. The embodiment of the third order powers, the elect, the church, into the cosmos to embody love. And ultimately, it is love that is going to redeem the demiurge. That is the fallen ego of the eon. Okay, that's enough for today. I hope that I have not brought confusion to you. I have only been meaning to explain why I favor the tripartite tractate. And indeed, I think that Theodotus has got some wrong turns there. And maybe we'll look at that in some future blog post. Please continue to write to me. I really appreciate when you do send me a comment using the comments form there at GnosticInsights.com. Let me know how this sat with you. Until next time, God bless us all. Remember the Father. Remember the fullness. Onward and upward.